Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, I am here with author and educator, Matali Perkins. We're kind of excited because one of your incredibly famous books, Rickshaw Girl, was turned into a movie and you can watch it on Amazon Prime. So tell me about that. Is, is Rickshaw Girl, is it based on a true story? Um, not really. Uh, although I did live in Bangladesh for three years and I rode rickshaws and I got to talk to little girls who live there. And my parents are originally from Bangladesh. So it's a story of a girl who wants to help her family uh, economically. But in the villages of Bangladesh, it's really hard for girls to work outside of the home. Now that's changing. And so I wrote the book sort of as a tribute to the girls I met, but I made it all up in my head. It's fiction. But it it does have true elements, though. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it does. It's set in, you know, contemporary Bangladesh. And it's really a look at how girls are really trying to get more power economically. And bit by bit, they really are through loaning each other money and starting little businesses. Girls in Bangladesh are starting to really come up in the cities. Of course, they're it's they're women who are doctors and engineers and and podcast hosts and everything else. <laughs> But uh, but in the villages, it's still pretty old fashioned, but it's kind of exciting how it's changing. Right. And it's good to see. It's good. It's good to see and not to take it to a dark place. But and it seems like here in America, things are reversing a bit. So it's, yeah. oh, you know, true. It's, it, it is. It's it's kind of interesting. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about the movie, because it's. Uh, a movie that's adapted from the novel, but it's it's very timely, I think, when it comes to issues about gender and financial power. And so it's kind of wonderful that it's coming out of that country that struggled so hard for women to, to American audiences, maybe as a reminder of how hard you have to fight, uh, how hard we had to fight as women to get the power we have and not to lose ground. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I see in your uh, biography, you were, you were also an educator. <laughs> yep yes I am I like I like to uh I love being with kids I love teaching kids I love college students I've been teaching college for uh for a long time and I teach adults as well yeah I like teaching everybody I can teach everybody except my own kids <laughs> yeah don't listen to <laughs> yeah they're, all they hear is wah 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 but yeah, yeah the Charlie Brown feature <laughs> well I think it's cool to come from a place of teaching and also um, writing, I think that they're kind of like a perfect marriage. Mm. You, you can relate things to, to your students in maybe a more creative way than, you know, someone who's very by the, oh, I almost made a pun, by the book, right? <laughs> Make a pun. Good for you. Yeah, you come at it from a more imaginative and creative place and maybe they can relate to you a little bit better. I think that's kind of cool. Thing. I never, I've never thought about that. I've always taught and I've always written. And, uh, but you're talking about sort of a convergence as to one informing the other or making me more connected. Yeah, that, I think that's probably true. I think that's right. And I think as a, if I was a kid, you know, a student, if my teacher had a published book or a bunch of published books, I would think she was the coolest ever. I would be like, oh my God, this is so, this is so cool. I've got the coolest teacher. You guys don't even. Well, that's true. I, I mean, approaching it at a college level, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So I think my 20th book is coming out. 
And so when I was younger, I thought about getting my PhD and going into academia, and that would have made my immigrant parents really happy, you know, Dr. Matali Perkins. But uh, I chose instead to focus full time on writing for children, right? And that was interesting for my parents because they had no bandwidth for understanding how you could support yourself as an artist. And that's kind of the theme of the movie, too. You know, here's a girl who wants to use her artistic talents to support her family. And I guess that uh, that's probably why I explored that theme in the book. But um, but now it's now that I'm at this level in my career, which is kind of amazing, if I think about all the rejections and all the wrong turns I took, um, I do have some credibility, not a PhD credibility, but a body of work that uh, I have created and generated for young readers that that does give me a, a sort, sort of a, I don't know, a bit of a substance, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's very gratifying. And I'm sure I'm sure your parents are fine with it now. <laughs> yeah, my 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 dad who the the dad in the story of rickshaw girl is very much based on the father. Not he, my dad was not a rickshaw puller, but he, I was the third girl born in the family and my mom had had no sons. And so when I was born as a third daughter, everyone cried. Everyone mm. was like boo hoo, boo hoo, no boys. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a sun-based culture, my culture of origin, except for Mr. Shalendranath Bosch, my dad, who said, no, 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 no crying. This girl's going to be a blessing to the whole family, and a daughter is just as good as a son. And so I got to put those words in the character of the father in the story of Rickshaw Girl, because he has two daughters. And people are saying, if you had a son, he could drive you a rickshaw, he could help you out. And he says over and again, no, a daughter is good as a son. So yeah, my dad, uh, no longer on earth, but I'm sure beaming very proudly from heaven as he watches this book get adapted. It was his favorite book of all of my books. So, Well, of course, because you've got the, the daughter-father relationship. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so sweet. And it's so funny because you're right. And I'm coming from a, a place of no knowledge. But it seems like the culture is very focused on doctors and pharmacists and high, you know, uh, careers. So to have parents that are like, okay, yeah, not just okay, but proud of your a different, you know, a different venture. I think it's really cool, and I think it's part of. Uh, I don't know the American television and movies. They like to to portray the parents as just absolutely devastated, you know, if the main character decides to be, I don't know, a drummer, you know, they're ripping their clothes and, and it's like, come, well, you know, it's not, that's, what do you, it's characterization. It's, it's, um, oh my God, I just forgot the word, but it, where you, you're making it more than it is. You know? Yeah. Now, I think it's interesting, though, because things have changed this generation. A lot of my friends who are creatives who are uh, younger, they have all these little side hustles going. So they don't put all their, you know, whatever their, they don't put their entire income stream in one, oh, career, I'm going to work at this for 50 years. And that's going to be my, my identity, my vocational identity. They have a lot of things going on. And and that's kind of how I started is sort of as a side hustle and then decided to go all in. But I still teach. I still speak. I do a lot of other things to make my income goals. So they're they're doing kind of what I'm strangely enough at this advanced stage of my life. I've sort of become like a Gen Z poster child because I'm living my bliss and I'm 
yeah. hustle became a main hustle. And that's kind of what they all, they're, you know, they follow me on social media and they just, cause that's their, their dream, right? Is, oh, my TikTok videos are going to go viral and make my, I'm just, I'm going to live, live high on the, on, on my TikTok income. But um, so it's kind of exciting to see the generation of, that isn't all about one career. And it's really good, I think, especially for women and girls, because it used to be you'd have to choose between parenthood and and mm-hmm. uh, work, but not so much anymore. They have lots of options. You know, there's you can work from home. There's virtual things. There's all different kinds of income streams. I think that's great. Absolutely. And I, I agree a thousand percent. And you're right about the TikTok thing, because I would love for this show to make money. <laughs> I would love for this to be my main source of my main hustle, if you will. And, but you know what, my kid is like sitting over there. So this is the best of both worlds. You know, I don't have to worry about where he is, what he's doing. He's right there. You know, he's listening, he's learning. He's picked up so many things from interviews. It's, it's so cool. So that's right. And in, it's kind of like the old school, like in the olden days, children were part of the economy. They're part of the household. And so your, your, your child would, would, as you were making butter from scratch or whatever to sell on the market, your kid would learn how to be a butter maker, but they were always involved in, in your economic activity. So the fact that he's sitting there and he's seeing you as a, you know, as a woman articulate, interested in, in a wide range of things. I and mean, that's a, that's a huge win for him and for you. So that's, I think it's great. I, I feel like it was a big loss for my generation because we just all had to decide, oh, we're going to be a suit and get those padded shoulders and, yeah. and like work nine to five, you know, that kind of, yeah, that, that was our choice. It was, it was a dumb choice. I'm glad it's widened up for you guys. Well, and you know what, this is something that wasn't readily or easily available 10 years ago. Yeah. And strangely, the pandemic has hastened a lot of creative kinds of um, mixes of of money and work and time for all of us and kind of thrown open different scenarios. We don't even have to live where we work anymore, which is kind of amazing. So yeah, that's, it's all good. And I think that for, for the, the work that I do, which is writing books and then seeing, seeing how filmmakers in another country, mm-hmm. really outside of Hollywood can have tools and avenues to get that adaptation onto Amazon and Apple TV, it was fully set in Bangladesh. Fully, I mean, it was fully filmed in Bangladesh. It's a Bangladesh director, Amitav Reza Choudhury. It's a Bangladesh actors. It had nothing to do with Hollywood. There was no Hollywood fingerprint on it at all. And yet here it is reaching American audiences. That's that's another big change. Our, our creative work, like this, if it's going to be uploaded wherever it is, can be listened to all across the whole globe without having to go through some gatekeeper that's going to say, hey, give me your, give me a chunk of change. You know, so right. it's kind of an exciting time for all all creatives, I think. It really, really is. And you're right about the the surge in um, video, audio things. As a podcast host, I'm on social media and I'm just, you know, I'm tuning in. I'm, you know, I've got my finger on the pulse or whatever. And I see the, like every day there's like 10 more people are creating shows and I'm like, what? No, get out. You know, but I, I do want everybody to be able to have as much fun as I have doing it. But I'm just like, mm, you don't need to have a show. You go do something else. You're a model, go do something else. But yeah. the other thing you're right about the filmmaking. I spoke to a director in France about his movie that was filmed in, I want to say the Philippines with Japanese actors. It was crazy. I was like, what? (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm calling you in Paris about your film that you filmed in the Philippines with an all Japanese cast. 
it's incredible. It is. And that's good. I feel like it, Hollywood needed to be shaken up, you know, just to have such a monopoly on visual storytelling was not good for them. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of a competitive um, spurring each other on this. Their stories have to be better. They're competing with soap operas from Korea to hold our attention or and the same thing I mean I know that it's hard to see your field you're like get out of a podcast field you your your cheekbones are too chiseled to go go model right but but I think it's it's always good to be spurred on by Mm -hmm. uh by other people to excellence to innovation and that's that's what you have to do and same thing that's true in the writing world you know there there are all these younger writers that are coming up and they're getting a lot of acclaim and it's so wonderful to see because now I have to write better stories and I have to keep growing in my craft. I'm not just the only Indian American author in for children's books that it used to be easy for me. Oh, oh, you need an Indian American author? Oh, I know one, Mitali Perkins. But now there's dozens of us and that makes it much more fun. The community's growing and all kinds of stories are reaching all kinds of kids. And so, you know, your podcast and your voice is so unique and it's going to reach an audience. But it might not reach everybody, right? So it, it's kind of fun to see the collaboration and community around a, a certain media. Absolutely. And I think it's funny what you said. There's like one Indian American author and they're like, no, no, no. The one with the rickshaw. Oh, okay. That's Matali. <laughs> yeah. Used to be like that. Not anymore. I'm really glad to see all the different Indian American authors and voices that are coming, coming into schools and libraries and their books and at different perspectives. So but yeah, it was it was a good run for a while. I was the only one. If you needed a speaker, ah, it was me. <laughs> now people are like, like retired oh. of her. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh my god. But also, I think what's what's so cool about you is you are an educator. You're a writer. People sometimes, I think, thought I don't think they think that as much anymore. But I think if people wanted to write, they wanted to be a writer. They they thought that's it. It's all or nothing. You know, I have to live in a drafty attic, <laughs> typing on a typewriter and starving. But there's you. And then there's uh, another great children's author, Alice Faye Duncan. She's a librarian that also writes children's books. You know, it's it's really, it's cool. If you have the time and you have the heart for it, I think go for it, right? You're busier, uh, you're more productive in the times that you have. Uh, oh, but you know, it's also nice as a creative. I know I need a lot of time alone, a lot of solitude. I got to really nurture my creativity. I can't just, I can't be on social media all the time. And um, I have to really, because stories won't, the stories will not, they will not bloom unless I really give them that greenhouse of solitude and just sitting with them alone is what you have. You have to do that. You can't shortchange that process. And I think um, for me personally, it's a little, it's a little hard sometimes because I have a bit of ADHD and a bit of depression. So I could want to do the things, but just no, it's not happening. But then I will get this burst of creative, busy energy and I'll, for three hours. Da, 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 and, and then somehow it's all done. And it's like, what just happened? I don't know. I didn't want to do anything for three days. And in the past three hours, I got everything done. Isn't that funny? And we're also wired so differently about productivity. And, and there are those things that come into play. And, um, and I think one, as you get, as you get older, you learn, I know that unless I have a deadline, I am not going to write. And my editor and my agent both know that now they know if they just say, well, 
you know, be creative and see what happens. You have all the time in the world. I will look at endless Instagram reels. I will, <laughs> not, I will not produce. But this last Monday, I had a deadline on February 1st to for a short story that was due for an anthology. And so, of course, I put it off. I put it off. I put it off. And then last week, the end of last week, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's due on Monday. And so all of a sudden, I had this huge rush of creativity, and I was just in the flow. And then on Monday, I edited it down, and I got it in the word count. But I don't operate. Like, I have friends who wake up at 5 a.m. every day. They do their run. They eat their healthy breakfast. And then they work for three hours. I'm like, no. I stayed up too late watching Netflix the night before. (laughs) So you know, we're all different, but at the end of the day, you created, you, you produced, you know, we produce. So we have to work with ourselves and give ourselves grace and say, there's no one great way to be a creative person. You have to work with your own limitations and yet, and also be gracious to yourself, I think, in your weaknesses and strengths. Absolutely. I wonder if my brain like has its own little deadline and that's where the, the burst comes from because nobody tells me it has to be done by this time. It's just like, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, now we got to get all of it done. That's well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe you're good at managing yourself in that way. I, that's not me. If it was, if it was up to me, I'd be like, let's just take another walk and look at recipes. <laughs> I'm not, I am the ultimate procrastinator, but I've gotten 20 books written by in this, in this procedure of a deadline and this last minute rush. And I get it. I get it done. It's just probably would be less stressful if I were disciplined in the morning. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think like your agent gives you a deadline, but it's actually like a week or two after that? They just want to get <laughs> don't, don't give up. Don't don't put that in my brain because then I'll be able, I won't produce. I don't need to. I need to keep keep lying to me. If you're lying to me, lines <laughs> keep keep going. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, I have another week, and they're like, no, you really don't. <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask you, and I don't want to get, I, I try to keep this show as lighthearted as possible, but as an educator and a writer here in Florida, we've had some shenanigans happening uh, lately. And I, I just wanted to see if you had an opinion on that at all about the, the book bans and the books being taken out of the libraries. Yeah. In fact, one of my books was just banned in Florida. Are so- you kidding? Now, yeah, it's on a list of, of books that were pulled. I, I don't, I haven't been keeping track of it. But uh, it's it's a book picture book called Between Us and Abuela, and it's about the 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 wall between San Diego and Tijuana, and it's uh, so it's a, it's a book set on the border there. It's a Christmas story. Anyway, I I wrote a book called Steeped in Stories. It's for adults, and it's a it's a look at classic novels that are pulled because they have racist or sexist tropes, right? And yeah. they're novels that I love, like Little Women or. Um, uh, little princess or the hobbit or their books that I still love and so I've had to make my piece about what do I do with those books those books like a secret garden where people from India are called pigs native pigs right and and I loved that book as a child do I say to to my kid oh no my grandkid oh no you're not going to read this because it has this racist slur in it so as I was writing that book I was realizing I'm never scared of a story. I think whenever on either side of the political divide, whenever someone is frightened of a story, that is a danger sign to me because stories are supposed to shake you up. They're Mm -hmm. supposed to widen your world. And so for me, I was a sort of a feral reader. I went to the libraries 
and at age seven, eight, nine, I just read like crazy. And so all the stories moderated each other. There's no one story that told me this is the way, for example, to look at the border wall between Mexico and Tijuana. And I guess that's why people are scared of that book, that if it was that one book, it would probably create maybe create too much empathy for people who are separated at the border, right? So they're scared of that book. But let's say, let's say that that child had read a dozen books about immigrant families from Guatemala or, and they had all, they were all in that child's pantheon and the child's internal library, then maybe one book wouldn't be as scary because the child then becomes the master of the story, right? Because all stories have agendas. That's the nature of story. They're all, they're all political really. And, um, but if a child who knows that and who has power over the story is not going to be duped by a story that's, got some racist or sexist tropes or is it is has some you know is talking about slavery in a way that their grandparents might be offended by but is a really unnecessary book so I'm never scared of a story I think it's really about that wider conversation about how frightened we get about stories right it's, whether it's from the past or in the, in the contemporary world if a child is reading a book where maybe I don't as a parent don't 100% agree with it I would say, let's read it together. Let's talk about it. Let's read another book about it. Let's do this. Let's, let's not be right. scared of the story. Let's widen our worlds and widen our hearts. So I feel that that's the bigger problem, not so much Florida versus, you know, Florida. The, the bigger question is, why are parents so terrified of stories? Right. And why are, why are they so, why are we so as a nation worried about the impact of a story? It's probably right. because we're not a well-read culture. And we're not a multi-storied culture. And we don't understand that our children need more stories, not fewer stories. So right. that's, where I, that's where I fall on the issue. Right. And, and God forbid, you know, our, our children should develop empathy for you know, uh, people, immigrants, you know, people in, in different situations. You know, God forbid they understand, right? No, that's right. That's what a story is. It's imagining life in a different person's skin for a while. And that's what a child, a well-read child will develop this incredible imagination to imagine other lives. And that's, you know, sometimes I wish I could go back in time, time machine, find our political leaders and read to them when they were like six-year-olds, you know, like, let's read you, read to you guys. And then fast forward, I'm, I think they'd be completely different in the, way, in the way that they govern our country. And so, yeah, so you have your chance now with the little guy over there that I can't see. I'm sure you read to them widely, and that's you know going to give them a huge advantage or her in in their in um in life because the more lives you can imagine as a child, the more you'll be a better adult in order to to deal with people, manage people, work with people, whatever, live with people. So yeah, I'm a big fan of many many stories of all different kinds of all different lives, and just give those to your kids when you have a chance. Right. And I think they need to stop being afraid that um, their child or a child is going to turn into something that, listen, I read every single Laura Ingalls Wilder book and I never for one second thought that I was her. <laughs> so, you know, I never wanted to live on a big prairie. But, and the other thing you said um, about older books or books that we read that refer to, you know, Native Americans as savages or, you know, Indian people as pigs, God forbid. But, there, this is somewhat related, but this is kind of how I feel about it. Um, they did 
like a special edition Tom and Jerry DVD set. And at the beginning, it had Whoopi Goldberg explaining Mammy Two Legs, which is the just the two legs of the, you know, the, the black woman that lived in the house. And she explained to the kids that we're going to be watching the DVDs. This is something that went on back then. It's not cool now. So that's an opportunity in a book. You can say to your child, you know, your kid or your teenager, whoever's reading it, be like, yeah, in the 60s or, you know, in the 30s or whatever, when the book was written, be like, that's how people spoke disparagingly around about other people. It's not cool. I want you to understand as you're reading this, that this is not cool anymore. This is not what we do now. So it's an opportunity. That's right. That's right. And not every kid as an adult who can lead them through that. I understand that, you know, that there's not every kid who has that, but, but, you know, we're not, we're not only responsible for our own kids, we're responsible for the community kids around us. So, so that's a conversation we have with other kids as well. But I think that um, the thing I'm excited about with Rickshaw Girl because it's so set in another culture, sometimes we get stuck in our own era. Like it's easy to look at the books from the past and see their flaws. But mm-hmm. when we're stuck in our own era, I'm sure that, you know, maybe three generations from now, if there's one copy of my book somewhere, people, someone will find it and they'll say, you know, my great, great grandchildren will say, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. What was great grandmother thinking? Or she was just so blank. And I won't even know what that flaw was because I'm stuck in my era. It's the same yeah. thing that's true for cultures. We get stuck in American culture at this point in time, but a movie like Rickshaw Girl, which takes you far away, there's no American characters, there's no, and you're able to inhabit that world, Naima's world, you're able to imagine her life for a while um, and be in her skin, a rickshaw puller's daughter. And then you come back to your world and you're different, you're changed, you're widened, your heart is widened, your mind is widened. And that's the power of a, a global story, crossing a border across cultures. It really gives us a break from the in you know the in unendurable pressure sometimes of American culture that's coming at us with all this division and conflict and it gives us a break to be somewhere else where there's entirely different set of issues and problems. Right. Then when we come back, it's like, oh wow, all right. Well, um, you know, you just you're just different once you cross a border like that in film or in story. And so that's why I'm excited to offer this movie that we're offering this movie to American audiences at this time, as I said before, because it really ties uh, the question of what it means to be a girl mm-hmm. in a culture where it is not easy to be a girl. And it ties it to the question of power. And that's an interesting, interesting take from American eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like watching uh, her work as a rickshaw Puller, driver, puller, um, rickshaw puller. You might not want to complain, you know, about how slow your photos uploading to Instagram. You know what I mean? It's like it puts it in perspective a little bit. It's like you think that you know you're having a bad day. Maybe not so much. <laughs> Maybe right. you're ill and you're not pulling a rickshaw to try to. You know, it's not that bad, right? <laughs> no, that's right. It's perspective on your own life, but it's also. Um, it's inspiration because you see her resilience and her integrity and her courage. And so I'm not, not to minimize the problems and that you're facing because all of us need those qualities. We all need resilience. We all need integrity. We all need courage. And no matter where we live, no matter how privileged we are, we're going to need those qualities. And so it can, it can inform you. And I think it's always better to be informed um, in those wonderful virtues by somebody with that we might not encounter in our everyday life because we get so siloed 
in our right. friendships. And so when we have to, when we, when we get inspired by a character in a story or on a screen, it's, it's a different kind of, uh, it's, a, it's, I don't know, it has, it has a sense of, it lands, it lands in a different way in our, in our character. Yeah. And I think that's something probably every good creative, because there are creatives out there that are just doing it for money or self-satisfaction, but every good creative that goes into a project with the right intentions, they love, or they would love to have uh, the audience or the reader pull away from it with understanding, with empathy, and with more information than they had going in. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's the hope. You know, you go, you see a movie like Rickshaw Girl, and your initial reaction will be like, "Wow, what a different world!" You know, here's a. Uh, I know your podcast listeners won't see this. There's a little rickshaw, and you know, you sit in the back, and uh, the beautiful rickshaw art on the back. It's they're so decorated. And so you may think, wow, what a window into another world. And some people take the movie in like that. They think I can travel to Bangladesh, the country on the other side of India and bordering India. And I can you know, just live there for a while and see what life is like. And then a true receiver of the story, though, will go to a faraway country culture like that. And they'll so connect with the character that they'll see themselves reflected in the story. So even if it's a faraway, a window to a faraway world, if you walk in, and you say, hey, she's just like me. I I understand wanting to help my family. I understand what it's like to have a talent that people look down on because they think it's not valuable. I understand what it's like to be a woman who's struggling to find her power. I And you see yourself reflected and then the story becomes even more marvelous because it's not just a window where you're sitting in your armchair and traveling to another world, but you're actually imagining life in another skin and you're like, I'm like that too. And you're making all these connections and the, that's why it's, uh, you know, it's such a great gift to go into a story that captivates you and you really are changed by it. Yeah, absolutely. It's on Amazon Prime now and Apple TV now. Yes, it is. Uh, I don't know how that happened. A novel that I wrote that was rejected many, many times and really didn't sell well when it first came out and bit by bit by bit found its way to the stage play first translated into Japanese and Chinese and Korean bit by bit. And now it's on Apple TV and Amazon Prime. I don't understand how that happened. It's it's like such a miracle. Must be my dad praying for me in heaven. But um, yeah, but I think, yeah, it's available on Canopy and Hoopla as well, which are library lending. And it's available on Voodoo and several other platforms. But um, but if you do, if if your audience is able to see it and, and like it, it really helps out to leave a review to okay. uh, to get to get some traction for it because you know it's a small film so but it's a, I think it's a very wonderful beautiful colorful film that families mm -hmm. can watch together because there are a couple of scenes the book of course is like rated GG but mm -hmm. the movie is probably PG PG yeah PG there are a couple of scenes where it gets a little gritty because she goes to the city and it's kind of dangerous for her um, so watching it as a family would give you guys so much to talk about and so many rich conversations could come out of this film if families watch it together. Absolutely. And it's also uh, a lesson in you personally thinking not, maybe it wasn't a complete failure, but you're like, maybe this isn't as wonderful as I thought it was. And then you're like, oh my God, it is. It really is. Well, it, it's wonderful to see it, other people's imagination interact around something I created in my head. Because um, they they added their whole the whole storyline so much deeper and richer and all that cinematography and all the the acting Navera Rahman is the lead actor and she's so adorable 
she's a woman, but she plays a girl, right? And so I did a panel with her where she was sitting next to me and I kept looking over and I kept thinking, hey, I made you up. I invented you. <laughs> I remember, no, no, she's a real person. So the, she just does such a dynamic job of acting. And the director, Amitav Reza Chaudhary, is a true genius, I think. Um, this is the first film from Bangladesh that's being appreciated by Western audiences. Uh-huh. India has a lot of films that cross borders, but Bangladesh has never really exported a film internationally until this film. Um, there might be, there might have been a couple others, but this one they're really excited about this film being seen and received by American audiences. So, uh, so it was all made by them, and so so delightful to see what they added to the story. Absolutely. Can people can people follow you on social media? Do you have a website? Yes, I am all over social media. As I've told, I've done a bunch of these interviews, and I keep saying I'm the only Mitali Perkins on the planet. So I, there's no combination of that name. So like in America, people are like have a hard time with the Mitali part. I usually get like cappuccino for Italia or something like that. But and then when I go to India, they'll say oh Mitali. They'll say they'll pronounce that part right, but then they'll say Parkins. Like they can't do that part. So if you Google me, Mitali Perkins, you can find me on my website, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I just lurk on TikTok. I don't generate anything creatively. But on the other media, I, 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 I'm a real admirer of people who make, who use that media to tell a story in such a short time. There's some genius TikTokers out there. Uh, and a lot of them are like a third my age. So it's really something I can learn from them. But um, but I'm, I'm very active on Instagram and f- Facebook and Twitter. So come find me, tell me what you think of the film. Tell me yeah. what you liked about the book. I, I always answer messages. I'm happy to, to have uh, more conversation about this. Of course. I definitely want to have you come back. Um, I got to get Kira. Kira's an, uh, a writer. She's Hi. actually a published author. And she is kicking her own ass because she wanted to be here. Aww. And she something with the husband. So she's very, dis, she's distraught at the moment. But those, um, those husbands. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, it's, but, so, well, tell her I'd love to meet her and, t- and find out more about her work. So yeah, you guys follow me and we'll stay connected. It'll be great to have another conversation down the road. Absolutely. And as for TikTok, I am I am with you. I am a, a watcher, <laughs> not a contributor. And I had to stop because I got caught in the thirst traps and I was like, why am I seeing shirtless men <laughs> on here all the time? I want to see that. So I, took, yeah. I, I now have at least four versions of Keena Reeves and uh, who else has fallen? Like all these fake, fake uh, accounts. I started blocking, I used to block them all because they were all, you know, like like unbuttoned shirts down to here and roses in their hands saying, I will buy a Jaguar for you, darling. And then now I'm like, ugh, let all these people, these bots follow me, I don't care. So uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I just stop. It's too exhausting blocking all these people. I just, all these bots. So I just, oh, uh, I that's a whole nother conversation, me and bots. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. And I'm, I'm so glad that we got to talk. It was fun to talk to you and hi to the, to the off screen. Anyway, yeah. enjoy the weekend. And I look forward to having more conversation down the road. Absolutely. Have a great weekend as well. Bye. Bye.